Sweet 16, March Madness, you know, part two, March Madness. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. Ooh, three wax. I love the sound of three wax. (laughs) (laughs) That means there's three of us here, TJ. Yeah, I also, my anniversary gift for my wife is always I get her three waxings. I thought you were referring to, I always put them on Facebook. Show me your wax. (laughs) What is a waxing? Is a waxing like just, I mean, do men wax? Well, the the karate kid, didn't he wax? That's how he... He waxed on. (laughs) He he waxed off? Waxed off. Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Hey, wax on. Wax off. Concentrate. He waxed off to Elizabeth's shoe, and I don't blame him. It is a shoe. Wax off, I think is how you say it. Ah, right, as in frequently. Wax on. (laughs) Wax off. (laughs) The The waxer. waxer. (laughs) Give it a big hand. The Clapper is available at Woolworth, Walgreens, Eckerd, and participating True Value. Makes a great gift. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast, March Madness. Part due. Joining us is our producer, our esteemed producer, Casey Baker. Hi, Casey. Hey, hey. hey Casey. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to help uh, mediate some fights between you right here in, in these tougher final rounds. Thank you. Thank you for that. You have some tough calls to make. You had some tough calls to make in episode one. It was hard. Yeah. Pete Best losing out to uh, that little girl in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Marsha Albert. Thank you, Marsha Albert. Yeah, uh, I wasn't in favor of that. I mean, <laughs> Marsha Albert, someone I didn't know. And by the way, Silver Spring, Maryland's not D.C., Tony. For someone who claims to love America, you don't know the difference between the Silver Spring radio market and the D.C. radio market. They both have different hot FM stations. Hot FM. Kesha. D.C.'s number one hit music station. And number one for new music. Turn it up. Wake up in the morning feeling Um, (laughs) You never put Kesha on a Chicago hot dog I want to make that very clear (laughs) Hey man, Um, my hot dog, my choice, All right. I didn't didn't know who Marsha Albert was I'd heard the story, but I would not have remembered that name to save my life So Marsha Albert beat poor Pete Best (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day It's the Untitled Beatles podcast We're at the Sweet 16 right now we are determining who is the true fifth beetle in the year 2022 and we started with how many 32 right that's right right yeah so that means we're down to 16 we've got eight hot matchups here in round two should we just should we just kick it off we could. I I just played the uh, N, the uh, NCAA theme on CBS, which I forgot we were recording it, but it's this thing. It's That's the NCAA on, on, CB, on CBS. And now like TNT and True TV and all that stuff. You down with True TV? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know me. Those crickets uh, are. Do you think John Tesh composed that? Do you think that's like his corner? Like he's just been doing all of these like great, you know, broadcast sports jingles? It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. He's like, he's the Lennon McCartney of pulsating 80s sports themes. Yeah. <laughs> and the Entertainment Tonight theme. That motherfucker hosted a show for which he wrote the theme song. Is that true? So he wrote the... It's 
Sounds like it. If I say it, it's got to be true. <laughs> Shit, who's going to look it up? I'm on the air with you guys. Who's going to Google this? Yeah, you'll, somebody will have to buzz us. Shit. <laughs> it's me. I had to buzz us. But let's backtrack real quick to make sure we get all the right credits here. The NCAA theme... was composed by Bob Christensen. He's done a bunch of other work for television, including the ESPN on ABC theme. John Tesh did not compose the NCAA theme, nor did he compose the theme to Entertainment Tonight. He did famously compose Round Ball Rock, which is the beloved theme for the NBA on NBC. We've written a song uh, that we like to call Round Ball Rock. Now, it started as one of uh, David's poems here, but then it just grew into something bigger than both of us could ever imagine. Uh, it's me on keys and Dave singing. Can you believe this is our job? <laughs> All right, fire away. All right, ready to do this? Yes, I am. All right, two, three, four. And the Entertainment Tonight theme was actually composed by Michael Mark, who also won a 1977 Drama Desk Award for his role in the Broadway musical I Love My Wife. That's for you, TJ. Hey, That's right. Only here on the Untitled Beatles podcast can you find quality, useless information like this. Untitled Beatles podcast exclusive. exclusive. TJ didn't know that. By the way, yes, thank you for all your correspondences. And uh, we've been seeing y'all on either the, the Facebook or the, uh, what's the other one we're on now? Horse space. <laughs> Horse space. We're... Horse and space. we're on Farmers Only, I think. We just got a profile there. <laughs> City folks just don't get it. <laughs> and uh, we're also, we're on Discord now. This is new. We found a yeah. special shout out to At Wet Media, which I feel weird calling you by your username, A, because it's a kind of weird username. And B, I feel like I should know your name because we've interacted so much on Discord. Yes. I know you only as wet media. Thank you for setting up the Discord. Maybe we'll throw a link out in the show notes so if people want to come join us, it's it's like an easier place to hang out than a Facebook. Yeah, it's groovy. Yeah, we've been having some good chats. Also with uh, with our listener, uh, she goes by the name Oathkeeper. <laughs> Roxas. <laughs> but, but she's not an Oathkeeper. Not that kind of Oathkeeper. She's just a gamer. Uh, she's not just a gamer. She's a... She's a game. Protecting our freedoms is a game to you? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I thanks. So many people check in with us, which I love. I've not done Discord yet. Uh, Discord, while a huge compliment, is in the checkbox of like, fuck, I am the old dad. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I keep thinking like, well, you know, TikTok's a bridge too far. What am I going to do on Discord? <laughs> Yeah, I mean we're the oldsters on it, but it's 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 fun so far, and uh, yeah, keep Huge on compliment. liking and subscribing, and we'll see you uh, out there on the roads. Ten four, big big daddy, gross. <laughs> good buddy, good buddy. <laughs> big daddy. <laughs> Yeah, there was a great record store on Diversity and Pine Grove in Chicago for many years called Big Daddy's. Mm. And I remember buying the Pickwick Live at the Star Club parts one and two. It was like early past masters. Nice. One cover was white, one cover was black. 
And I remember buying those at Big Daddy's in the cutout bin in the early 80s on Diversity and Pine Grove, long defunct Great Northside Chicago record store. There you go. You heard it here. Ex- Beatle, Untitled Beatles exclusive. Untitled Beatles podcast exclusive. Exclusive. Dad record stores. <laughs> we could go on and on and be so sad. We should do a whole record stores episode because in the Burbs, you probably didn't have quite as many as were downtown. Did you have like, were there favorites that were easily accessible for you guys? For me, yeah, I, w- I would go to this place in Palatine all the time, actually, which was uh, like, uh, you know, it was a drive, but I would also then just use it to drive around. And I remember driving by this castle and there was also this like punk rock graffiti area. Yeah. And that's where I bought all my like Danzig T-shirts and stuff like that. It was great. That was Sam Goody, right? <laughs> no, it was, it was an independent. I forget. <laughs> I forget what the hell it was called. It was in a strip mall. You know, it was like that. But that was one of them. Yeah, that's cool. I, you know, the only place that I ever shopped vinyl, because I was like so squarely in the CD age, but there was a shop on 45 in Mundelein called, I think it was called RJB. It might still be there. It was like a vintage jukebox shop. Oh, and cool. they had 45s of like current music for, you know, establishments that had old time 45 jukeboxes. So I remember like I had my dad's turntable and I remember getting the, you know, 45 single of... Shoot, was it Republica's Ready to Go? Do you guys know that dance pop they hit from like 95? They played a Bulls game. Ready yeah. to Go, yeah. Yes, that one. So I, I, that was the first <laughs> vinyl I bought. That's that's my journey to the Beatles. That's awesome. <laughs> Jock jams on 45. I love Jock early 90s 45s. Like it's fun. It costs like $50 on eBay to get a 45 of Come As You Are by Nirvana. Like right. the early 90s 45s because nobody bought them. It was all, you know, CDs or in Tony's case, Kassingles <laughs> by Cameron Crowe. I did have the Kassingle. I did have the Kassingle of Smells Like Teen Spirit, which had even in his youth on it, which is a great uh, Nirvana B side. Yeah. Also, shout out to Record Swap out there in Naperville that would have dance parties after hours. They would lock the doors and uh, the manager, Kevin, would play some tunes. It was a good time, man. (laughs) Sounds like child abuse. (laughs) They'd lock the doors. Kevin would put on his music collection. We were, they he wasn't playing Gary Puckett or anything like the <laughs> deli this morning at the, in my neighborhood, I went to get a Bialy and a mishmash bagel mm-hmm. and they went from I'll get you by the Beatles, famous Beatles B-side right into Lady Willpower by Gary Puckett. Cool. Lady Let's do it. Round two. This is the Sweet 16, they call it. Speaking of Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Speaking of Ringo. You walked out like a dream. Peaches and cream. Lips like strawberry wine. Can't do that one anymore, Ringo. All right. This is a face-off. This is a real face-off. Billy Preston from the first seed against... Fourth seeded, uh, 16th overall ranked 
Dick Lester, who oh, is the alive. Dead guy? No, he's alive, we learned. Thank you, Casey. <laughs> what about the heirs we have lost for Richard Lester? Uh, just to clarify for everybody, thank you for the praise, Jim, who called out that I got I was able to correct the guys. Just to be clear though, I didn't know that. If there's something that it sounds like I know better than Tony and TJ, it's merely because I have access to Google and they don't. Like they have to talk. I'm not there when we record usually. That's true. So this is Google, it's not me, just to be clear. Okay. Our new sponsor, Google. <laughs> no. Ruining the world Google? one search at a time. Keep Google. your money. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't want to do your dirty work no more. So Billy Preston against uh, Richard Lester, uh, who directed Hard Day's Night, Help, How I Won the War. He worked with the Goons and uh, Billy Preston, who had his name featured on a, a Beatles single Kind of the, uh, I would say, the savior of the Get Back project, perhaps? Oh, yeah. Uh, no question. I mean, we saw what Billy Preston's presence did, and we've heard it forever and ever and ever on the recordings. You know, Dick Lester did Superman 3, I think we said last time. Two. Superman 2. Did he do 2 and 3 or just 2? I think just 2. Okay. Uh, the best of the Superman films. Uh, with all due respect to Dick Lester... And, you know, Help obviously hasn't held up quite as well as A Hard Day's Night. It's not Dick Lester's fault. You couldn't reinvent what they did just by making A Hard Day's Night a, a real kind of moment in their life. You couldn't do a second time. But A Hard Day's Night's crucial to the Beatles story. Without A Hard Day's Night, the Beatles are not as big. Because as much as Beatlemania had hit on the Ed Sullivan Show, Tony, I think A Hard Day's Night solidified them in the minds of non-screaming teenage fans and an older generation who saw this movie and a lot of the press as being a, a classic, right? So he's responsible for the Beatles, uh, a second level of success in the States. I would agree with that. I would agree that, yeah, he helped make them more palatable to the older generation, show that they had some wit, show that they were more than just haircuts, you know? Uh, or creepy crawly things or whatever, you know, um, I will give him that. I will give him that. But I'm going to have to go with Billy Preston on this one. Yeah, I mean, we can try to joke around about this. But Dick Lester is essential. He's I mean, we'll have to eventually maybe rank our all time top 10. But yeah, I, I don't even think on this list, Dick Lester's on, on our Rushmore. I Billy Preston by a mile. Well, there you go. There you go. Settles that. All right. Next matchup, third-seeded Yoko Ono against second-seeded Mal Evans. This All is right. a hard one. This is a hard one, man. All right, Yoko, she sang on a bunch of songs, right? She sang songs about John. She was the inspiration for Beatles songs. Mal Evans, he's been there since pretty much the beginning. Longtime friend. He contributed ideas and sound effects. Let me give you some, some Mal Evans things he did. He sang on Yellow Submarine. He played the organ on You Won't See Me. He played her. He plays that one note, right? Yes. And I just can't go on if you won't see me. And he gets a credit on Rubber Soul for doing so. I love that. You know? That cover, yeah. I mean, he's he's Alan Civil at this point. Harmonica on Mr. Kite. He's the guy counting on Day in the Life during the big swell up. Oh. 
and he was responsible for the alarm clock. He played one of the final chords on the Day in the Life piano chord. I mean, tambourine, dear prudence. Trumpet on Helter Skelter. He stirred a bucket of gravel on You Know My Name, look up the number. And of course, he played the anvil on Maxwell Silverhand. Which Michael Lindsay Hogg tried to sabotage and make his anvil playing look incompetent. <laughs> it's Never forgive him. It's true. We have Peter Jackson to thank for, for writing that wrong. <laughs> so you've created an argument that would sway a lot of people to put Mal Evans above Yoko Ono. And certainly Mal Evans was part of the Beatles journey for a lot longer um, and was more universal to all four Beatles in ways that Yoko Ono was not. The tricky thing about Yoko is, while her presence on Beatles songs was less than Mal Evans, which is just a weird kind of quantification to make, um, uh, without Yoko, I don't think John's last years with the Beatles are as fertile and as meaningful. I think that Yoko encouraged John to not want to paint by numbers, despite some of the restlessness and unhappiness, because Paul was dominating for quite some time. All of a sudden now John meets Yoko and John's contributing songs that are just as if not more important than Paul McCartney's forays into the land of Pepper and Paul kind of creating Magical Mystery Tour and the like. So it's weird that Yoko's a three seed, Mal's a two seed, but I get it. And I think I'm voting for the upset here. I think Yoko Ono's more important to arguably the most important Beatle. Interesting. Interesting. And I, as you know, TJ, I am a Yoko defender. I, 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 do. I used to read that alt weekly. <laughs> the only place in Chicago you get the, the good theater listings is in the Yoko Defender. Yeah, I want to vote for Yoko, but I also want to vote for Mal. You know, there's going to be a book about him coming out next year, 2023. And I bet it's going to shed a lot of light on, on how much he really did contribute to the Beatles overall. And I love Yoko. I love Yoko. I don't think she broke up the Beatles, but I'm going to vote for Mal Evans on this one. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. We yeah. reached a point where I'm taking Yoko's side. And again, that's just because of side two, a live piece in Toronto. I mean, my, arguably my favorite side of recorded music. Mal Evans also appeared in A Hard Day's Night. He's carrying an upright bass. In he's in all the movies, right? In Help, he's the confused yeah. swimmer in the channel. And uh, he's a magician in Magical Mystery Tour. And of course, he's in Get Back and Let It Be. He produced No Matter What by Badfinger. He produced New Day. Their best song. That's my favorite Badfinger song. Arguably, right? No matter what you are, I will always be with you. He also produced Keith Moon's record, Two Sides of the Moon, or Parts of It, which is a rough listen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Keith Moon recorded that in a pool after he died. <laughs> and he's credited on All Things Must Pass and uh, Plastic Ono Band, Tea and Sympathy. Anyway, just putting out some more some more mal-love out there. Well, I'm fully unprepared to cast a tie-breaking vote in this. <laughs> Perfect for the show. 
I mean, I think the core challenge we have, which is the core challenge of the entire bracket, is how do you define what are the criteria that we're actually measuring against, right? Like, what does it mean to be a, the fifth beetle? Right. It is. It's an elusive, you know, I don't think there's any hard or fast rules on it. Yeah. To me, it's like, what did you contribute to the Beatles, right? That seems to be the thing. And so it's like, how do you how do you weigh magnitude where maybe like Yoko's magnitude of contribution is enormous versus longevity of Amal Evans, who's kind of there throughout the time. One of the things I also admire about Mal Evans and kind of took away from the Get Back uh, documentary is that like, here's a guy who wants to get into music and doesn't like come in as like a guns blazing singer songwriter who's going to break himself. He, you know, starts in the mailroom, basically the, the yeah. rock and roll equivalent of that, right? He's the roadie. He's learning from the best. And then by the time you get to get back, you see Paul bouncing lyrical ideas off of Mal. And there's something like, this is no slight against Yoko either, where it's like, I Yoko did not break up the Beatles. I've massively underestimated uh, her influence on some of the most important music that the, that that group put out. But there's something about Mal that it's like he started from the bottom and he was there from the beginning and he contributed in very small ways and very selflessly. And I think about that in terms of being a band member in the very Ringo and George, you know, uh, idea of that, of sort of being there to support the group. And whereas I do think Yoko, she never really had any commitment to the group. Her commitment was to John. And so I I think I, I agreed with TJ. I was a little shocked that these were seated in this order. But I think I think I have to go with Mal Evans. Wow. I, I, I know. So I know Mal's one. The one thing I want to say, too, is for better or for worse, there's no Beatles, quote unquote, comeback without Yoko. It was Yoko after bearing the hatchet with Paul. Was it at the Rock and Roll Hall of... Uh, no, not the Hall of Fame, because Paul didn't show up to that. It was... When the hell was it... Was it when Paul inducted John into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that she handed off the Free as a Bird tapes? What event was that? That's... I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When would that have been? Like, 93? Yeah, something? that would have been right around there. 93 is when they were... 93 and 94 is when, yeah, anthology was happening. 94 is when they were shooting it. There was an event. I, I'm going to go ahead and say it was when Paul inducted John in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'm ready to be buzzed, and that's fine, because I you can't remember every fact, but I know that that's when Yoko <laughs> gave you the can't. tapes for free. <laughs> exactly, I can't. So, that, But that's important, too, right? Because there was a generation of Beatle fans in the mid-'90s for whom that was a, just a massive thing. The Beatles had a new single on the radio, the first since 1970, and that's because of Yoko. And I can't remember... Where did you rank those singles on your list of all-time great Beatles songs? <laughs> we weren't allowed. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. It wasn't rules. on there because those are non-canon. That's a good uh, argument, fair, TJ, okay, but fair. it's not canon. Totally well, fair. it was a double A. It was a double A. That's why we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> That's right. It was a double A side, yeah. too. So it didn't even show up on B side. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a solid argument. We're splitting hairs here, right? This whole exercise is like truly splitting hairs. And I just still feel inclined. I think Mal narrowly edges her out if i may as someone again we don't need to overdo it i love yoko you know that but when the beatles are performing <laughs> feet in front of her inches in front of her and she's just like reading the paper and she looks so bored that actually that graded on me as someone who who loves her 
<laughs> I just felt she was like showing a disrespect to this thing that was happening in front of her. Can you, I mean, you don't want someone frothing at the mouth either, you know, but. She, she, Tony, she was checking out of town box scores before the internet. How do you think Yoko was going to find out whether the White Sox or Tigers won a nightcap? Well, and also she was reading up to make sure that all of her theater reviews were accurate and up to date in the Yoko Defender. You know, but also in her defense, there is like there's a camera trained on her. This was like hours and hours and hours and hours. You yeah. think Mal was sitting there like waiting with bated breath, you know, throughout the, like he's scratching his ass off camera at the same time. Maybe, or constantly running errands, figuring out where he's going to get yeah, an anvil and, <laughs> you <laughs> know. I know we're going to move on from this. Can't argue with Mal Evans. I will say that the latent and obvious bigotry on this show is blinding the two of you and I've had it. <laughs> You know, you're not wrong, TJ. I'm also just like, three dudes uh, pick Mal Evans over Yoko. It's yeah, like, that's the headline. Oh, didn't well. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, maybe if Yoko wasn't a chick, it might have turned out different. Like, yeah, I am I got Yoko. I got Yoko in this that's one. Fair. I never thought I'd say TJ, that. TJ, we'll be on the right side of history, wrong side of the bracket, though. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Did the bare naked ladies ever write a song about Mal Evans? <laughs> Don't blame it on Yoki. If I was John and you were Yoko, I would gladly give up musical genius. Just to have you as my very own personal Venus. Oh shit, I'm sorry, that was introduced too late. If that had been in submitted as evidence, <laughs> that could have been the tipping point. Yeah. Oh, all right, next next matchup. <laughs> In the seventh seat, it's Marsha Albert, the 15-year-old from Silver Springs, Maryland, not the D.C. area, who, who jump-started Beatlemania in the U.S. of A. when she requested, I want to hold your hand for the first time to be played on U.S. airwaves, December 17th, 1963, versus sixth-seated Mark Lewison. These two are actually ranked pretty close to each other, 21 for Mark Lewison overall, and 28 for Marsha Albert. Some little animal. high not very me. scientific <laughs> mm -hmm. yep yep i mean so mark lewison i'm currently reading still reading you know because it's like a 600 page book i'm on like page 300 but i'm loving wow. it it's a tune in mark lewison the early years i'm into 1960 right now i'm loving this book and he also did the recording book we covered this in the previous episode but to me he's kind of the premier at least one of the top beetle historians out there uh i just I like Have his... you read my work? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I listened to it. <laughs> You've not read my dissertation on why some Beatles A tracks have the white shell and why other Beatles A tracks have the black shell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna. Be, I'm loving this book. I'm gonna vote for Mark Lewison. I say Mark Lewison over Marsha Albert. Okay. Here's what I would say. This book was a massive, massive book for me. I'm holding up Beatles recording sessions with yeah. my bent covers. It's the hardcover book, but it's all oh. kind of ripped. This has like my grubby 15, 16-year-old hands all over it. It's just covered in Doritos and Jergens. <laughs> Doritos and Jergens and Jergen flavored Doritos. <laughs> uh <laughs> Our new sponsor, German-flavored <laughs> Doritos. Years ago, the best way with rough red hands was greasy cream and gloves overnight. Introducing today's way, Jergens-flavored Doritos brand tortilla chips. 
helps problem hands overnight. I would say the one thing about Mark Lewison is, uh, does Paul McCartney have a song that goes like this? We're so sorry, Marsha Albert. We're so sorry if we caused you any pain. You're right. Again, you're right. Yeah, it, right. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the presidents of the United States of America didn't write a song about Mark Lewison. So, <laughs> oh, what a great reference! Drop. Mark sat alone in a boggy marsh, totally the world's foremost authority on the Beatles. Yeah, this one is ridiculous. Mark Lewison is the preeminent Beatles historian of all time. I don't know why he didn't write the liner notes for. The recent reissues, it's been all Kevin Howlett. Yeah. And it's funny, There's I forgot there's a McCartney interview in the recording sessions book as part of the prologue. Yeah, yeah. That's where he talks about the paperback writer bass sound, I believe. Like, yes. that's where I first learned that. I bought that book when I was working overnights at a gas station in the summer right after I graduated high school. So I was this 18-year-old kid behind bulletproof glass stocking cigarettes at four in the morning uh, and occasionally filling up one of those big plastic big gulp cups filled with malt liquor up <laughs> and reading about the Beatles all night long and loving life in my, it was called road pilot. And we had to wear a smock that was orange, yellow, and brown and had had a little pilot on. <laughs> Ooh, was, did you get Jergens flavored Doritos on it? Cause those are orange already. In the morning, your hands are smoother, prettier, more comfortable. Jergens Doritos. The crunch says Doritos. The flavor says cheese. Mm. Yeah, so Mark Lewison all the way, uh, his writings about the Beatles from the mid-80s onward are just the most important Beatles reading in terms of chronicling all the stuff that you can do. I agree. All right, so there you go, Mark Lewison. Thank you, Marsha Albert, for your time, your contribution. We should find her, man, get her on the program, and we should talk to her, see what she's up to. Okay, next up, here we go. This one might be hard, man. No. It's in the fourth seat, Peter Jackson, against first-seated Stu Sutcliffe, or as the Beatles like to call him, Stu Sutcliffe. So, Stu Cliff. <laughs> oh, that was the rival cat to Garfield. <laughs> Garfield like lasagna. Stu Cliff. Stucliff like those uh, those fish that you ate and they looked like combs at the end of it or whatever. <laughs> what was the theme? It was like Stucliff, Stucliff, no terrifying neighborhood. That's it. I love your man. Casey, how do you remember that? <laughs> there it is. Well, Stu Sutcliffe, of course, the original bass player. Uh, Ish. Right. He could kind not play. Of. I was going to say, man, if you you are so hard on Pete Best's uh, ability as a drummer, Stu Sutcliffe was like never in the right key. He never even wanted to be a bass player. They like cajoled him. They almost like John heavy handedly forced him to join the Beatles, I think, at Mona Best's uh, coffee club there. So he kind of reluctantly joined, but once he joined, he really loved the image, you know, and he looked like James Dean or this like a uh, 
the Polish James Dean. There was an actor whose name I can't pronounce that he was more influenced by than James Dean. But oh, Dolph Sweet from Give Me a Break. <laughs> <laughs> is he Polish? Is he Polish? <laughs> Dolph Sweet. The only Beatles podcast that references Dolph Sweet. Give me a break. I sure deserve it. Uh, Tony, are you thinking of his big new Sibilski? Yes. Yes. I almost definitely pronounced that wrong, but I did Google it. So it's a big nev Sibilski. At that time in America, they were saying the Polish James Dean. Well, that's Stu, right? I mean, a lot of people know Stu as like the, I would say the original fifth Beatle. I think so, because as we mentioned in the previous episode, he actually was the fifth Beatle on stage when there was five of them, and they were the Beatles, not the uh, Quarrymen or whatever. He helped name the band, too, with John. John says he came up with it in a dream, but there's also another account where Stu and John came up with it together and then ran it by the others. Uh, Stu actually wanted it to be spelled B-Tals, like A-L-S at the end. Uh, like the way Terry Hebert says it. Yeah. Breakfast with the Beatles. We love yes. you, Terry. Make let's make it very clear. We're satirists and we love you. Oh, all of that. Yeah, we love Terry. And here it is, a Sergeant Sauerkraut's polka band doing Lucy in the Sky Polka. Where else but Breakfast with the Beatles? Well, Stu's going up against like the one of the newer additions to this world of Fifth Beatle. Peter Jackson, director of the new hit, Get Back. He gave us so much material. He gave us so much love. He really rearranged the narrative on the winter of discontent and all that. We are indebted as fans to this dude for all this new stuff that came out last year. I don't think this is close. I think if you're in Vegas, you put your money on Peter Jackson uh, when the odds first come out, because what Peter, Peter Jackson's contribution rivals, if not exceeds that of Dick Lester, given that it's not just about Peter Jackson's ability, because Peter Jackson didn't pull a Ron Howard. With all due respect to Ron Howard, and eight days a week was really, really fun, but didn't leave me feeling emotionally the way this film did. The length of this film the era in which it came out will always think of this movie as being a bit of a godsend during the pandemic. At least totally. most of us will. That's part. It's part of the time of this movie. It's like art that came out of the Second World War where you had this art really taking shape and being released during the pandemic. Peter Jackson, to me, when we draw this up in a couple of years, will probably be a one seed. I think he runs away with this. Stu Sutcliffe was, was one of John's best friends, his best friend from art college. Yeah. Astrid fell in love with Stu, and Astrid's a big part of the Beatles story with the beautiful photos that she took. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what Peter Jackson did is a major artistic accomplishment in the Beatles universe that catapults him to instant fifth Beatles status over Stu Sutcliffe in a heartbeat for me. I'm going to go with you on that. I'm going to say Peter Jackson. Just thank you for that. Now, the question is on the Sgt. Pepper cover. Do we replace Stu Sutcliffe's picture with Peter Jackson? That's, you know. Or what the Beatles want to do and just replace Stu Sutcliffe with Gandhi. <laughs> All right. Peter Jackson makes it, makes it into the next round. Before we say goodbye to Stu Sutcliffe. Yes. Did Stu actually contribute to any records or was he out of the scene by the time they started uh, recording this music? He was gone. Yeah. I don't know if any, I'm, I'm reading 
there was some like practice session that exists uh, that I have never heard. And it's like 45 minutes and it is like shambolic. And it's like right when he's learning to play, you know, he spent, you know, he had a Hofner 333 bass that was just giant and he didn't know how to play, you know. Also, Shambolic, my favorite Three Dog Night song. <laughs> I thought that was in the music, man. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia, it was in later revivals. If you like Three Dog Night and the American Musical Theater. I'm on the road to Shapoopy. Is that what we're doing here? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here comes that mashup. <laughs> Now a woman who kissed on her very first date is usually a hussy. And a woman who kissed on her second time out is anything but fussy. But a woman who waits till the third time around, head in the clouds, feet on the ground. She's the girl he's glad he's found. She is she poopy. <laughs> All right, next matchup. Uh, another first seat. Brian Epstein ranked third overall against... 14th ranked Michael Lindsay Hogg, the original director of the uh, the Get Back Project, later to be known as Let It Be. G. Willikers. Uh, this one's an easy one for me. Epstein, manager. He's got my vote. I love you, Michael Lindsay Hogg. Thank you for all the footage that you were able to give and record, Peter Jackson. But, uh, I mean, I just, Brian Epstein believed in them from the start and never stopped believing in them. Yeah, I mean, Michael Lindsay Hogg, by the way, a lot of our listeners are always writing in and we love when people comment, but a lot of the comments I get are like, we listen to this for more obscure musical theater references. You know, it's I know mostly Tony makes him, but for this one, I would say there's an obscure song from Big River written about Michael Lindsay Hogg called How About a Hand for the Hog? <laughs> well, I always heard, but I ain't too sure, that a man's best friend is a mangy cur. I can affair for the hog myself about a hand for the hog. Well, yeah. How about a hand for the hog on his way out? You got to give it to Epstein. Come on, man. Well, and couldn't Thank you argue? You. Couldn't you argue that if Brian Epstein doesn't die, Michael Lindsay Hogg isn't even on this list? Wow. You could argue that. You could wow. argue that, but who knows? Because because uh, Lindsay Hogg was doing Ready Steady Go during you yeah. know Epstein's lifetime, so that's right. He could have just been picked, you know, to do it still. Yeah, I mean Brian Epstein. When we're done, we'll have to talk about who our Mount Rushmore is, because that'll kind of assume, are they all the one seeds or are there other people? There's a one couple one seeds here, or one one seed that I don't know that I would agree with for my, my Mount Rushmore. But Brian Epstein's one of them, right? I mean, Brian Epstein, his belief in the Beatles, and without Brian Epstein, they don't get to George Martin. Right. Yeah, he's integral to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and his story is great. If you read that Lewison book, it's very interesting. He's a tortured man. I'll tell you what, man. He was tortured. A lot of tortured men in the Beatles' orbit. Billy Preston. We talked about Mal Evans. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people who were, you know, in some respects, the Beatles themselves. You know, Ringo having to get sober. A lot lot of torture, a lot of sadness in the Beatles' orbit. But yeah, I mean, Michael Lindsay Hogg, we talked about that. The Hey Jude video is wonderful. He's part of some really important Beatles moments and without him, there is no get back movie. That said, Brian Epstein in a landslide. This one isn't even close. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you, Brian. John, where would you be today without Mr. Epstein? I don't know. Next up, it's uh, third seated Klaus Voorman against second seated Neil Aspinall. It's a hard one. This actually, this one gave me some consternation. 
Yeah. Neil Aspinall, school friend of Paul and George. He later became their road manager, personal assistant. He fathered a child with Mona Best and maintained like a tight friendship with Pete Best simultaneously. <laughs> I mean, that is a feat, man. That is... <laughs> This happened with former basketball player Delonte West and LeBron James' mother. Are you doing a thing? <laughs> that was the rumor. It's a half thing. <laughs> it's, no, it's, yeah. It's a, Apparently, like, that's what broke up that Cavs team was that yeah. Delonte oh, West. Jeez, man. With LBJ's MOM. Slept with LeBron's mom? I don't think they had a child. And I know they didn't stay friends. Ooh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about Yankee Panky in the last episode? I forget, but... That, that Tommy so. James and the Shondells tune. <laughs> My baby does the Yankee pancake. No, those two My pitchers. The two pitchers in the 70s. There were two pitchers that swapped wives. And it, it worked out for one and it didn't work out for another. <laughs> I, I don't. Who was that? Uh, I'd have to look it up. Stop. Here we go. An avant-garde wife swap between two Yankees pitchers, Mike Kekich and Fritz Peterson became public in March of 1973, just before the beginning of the regular season. So there you go. Yankee panky, man. Wow. <laughs> so that's Neil Aspinall. Neil Aspinall is Yankee panky. And Klaus Vorman is, I mean, he was a little bit because he dated Astrid, but then Astrid fell in love with Stu. So not quite Yankee panky, but there's a little triangle going on there. Yeah. He met the Beatles in Hamburg. You know, we talked about this in the last episode. He designed the Revolver cover plus the anthology album covers. He played on a lot of solo stuff. I love Klaus. So this is tricky because Klaus Vormann's impact transcended the Beatles breakup, and he is playing bass on some of the most important solo Beatles records ever recorded. He also designed the album cover for what most people would probably agree is the Beatles' greatest album. Remember, for 25 or 30 years, it was all Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. And I think people kind of realized, sure, Pepper's great, but She's Leaving Home is on it. Let's not get down a peg <laughs> and uh, let's <laughs> slot Revolver up there. Um, yeah, Klaus Vormann's role is absolutely essential. I know Neil Aspinall's was too, but I'm just thinking about his bass lines on some very important solo Beatles albums, and I'm going with the ups. I'm taking Klaus over Neil. Wow, we man. Wow. Yeah, I love Klaus. I love his voice, like his calm. I love him in interviews. You know what I mean? I love his perspective on things. But Neil, man, Neil. I know. I know. Neil did so much work. There's a lot of things that we wouldn't have if it weren't for Neil. A lot of the pounding the pavement, all the work that you don't see, all the behind the scenes stuff. Neil's a behind the scenes guy. Running Apple. Yeah, running out. He's the executive producer of the anthology. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anthology is what got us through the goddamn 90s. Those actually, the 90s were nice, but you know what I mean? Like it got us through like a whole decade of not having new Beatles stuff because it can't be done anymore. John's gone. Uh, even though well, they, Tony, <laughs> they gave us new stuff anyway. Oh, that's just it. And sorry to interrupt you, but here's another thing that is pro Neil. Neil had been trying to get some iteration of anthology made since the early 70s when yeah. they were working on a doc called The Long and Winding Road right. that never materialized. Neil Aspinall single-handedly, one of the, uh, that Peter Doggett book, You Never Give Me Your Money, 
it really drives home the point that Anthology saved the finances of George Harrison and Ringo Starr in the 90s. After Handmade Films had had just gone totally sideways for George. Right. And after Ringo hadn't had a commercial hit since 75. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. Neil Aspinall played Tambura on Within You, Without You. He played harmonica on Mr. Kite along with... Uh... Mal Evans. He sang on Yellow Submarine along with Mal Evans, and he played percussion on Magical Mystery Tour. And George declared him a fifth Beatle at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony in 1988. So I'm I'm going to have to vote for Neil Aspinall. I love you, Klaus. I fucking love you, Klaus. <laughs> but as a he's been there since the beginning, Neil. So I, I got I have to give it to Neil. And once again, before we let Casey be the tiebreaker for the nine millionth time. I'm about the music. You're about the business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm wearing that jacket with all the dollar signs on it right now. <laughs> that's why he reads all the ads. <laughs> I thought you were advertising for FreeCreditReport.com. FreeCreditReport.com brought to you by the Untitled Beatles podcast. Get your FreeCredit.com report at FreeCreditReport.com. Comment. <laughs> What was that jingle? <laughs> That's freecreditreport.com. That was actually the jingle? Seven. You just had that one in your back pocket? Of yeah, I think wrong key, though. I think the key is... Freecreditreport.com wow. You should have gone to freecreditreport.com I could have seen this coming at me like an atom bomb They monitor your credit and send you email alerts So you don't end up selling fish to tourists in t-shirts Offer applies with enrollment and triple advantage Casey, how do you handle this tiebreaker? Well, I think you teed it up pretty well the way I'm thinking about this one is I'm an advanced statistics kind of guy when it comes to basketball. And I think about it in terms of wins over replacement, right? So W-A-R, yeah. Yeah, Moneyball. you got to think about that. Oh, sorry. Wins above replacement. Thank you. And I got to say, like, if I think about if Klaus isn't there, what, he meets them in Hamburg, right? And he's like in their orbit forever. And then he's part of the, all of these iconic recordings, post Beatles, obviously. I think you sub in another bass player. You don't. You don't have all those same contributions. You you could maybe make the same argument for Neil Aspinall in terms of sort of a business figurehead and a leader of Apple Corps. But I feel like if Neil's not there, you maybe find another business savvy guy who could make anthology happen, or gal. Actually, importantly, maybe you could have found a woman to run a corporation in the '60s. Oh, that's a fair point. That is a fair yeah. point. So I think with uh, wins above replacement, I have to give the edge to Klaus here and uh, in the favor of music as well. Wow, we, wow. It's now, an upset. Now, I must ask, Casey, is this because that you sided with me on your last tiebreaker and now you're trying to side with TJ? Maybe, maybe that's what's influencing you. No, I like you. I like you. You're both my favorite host of the show. I've always made that clear. Yes, you have. Casey's never picked favorites as far as we know. As far as we know. TJ's my favorite. But we all know who but we all know who your real favorite is. Uh my real favorite is um Robert Rodriguez. (laughs) He's well because he actually, as opposed to us, knows what he's talking about. He's a published author. (laughs) Yes. Robert Rodriguez we should do one of the best Beatle authors, and Robert Rodriguez would be a top seed for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right, next up, uh, we've got a couple more matchups here at the round two. It's Derek Taylor, second seeded Derek Taylor, the prefs officer for the Beatles and Apple, against sixth seeded, 23rd ranked Alan Williams, the Beatles' first manager back in the, the Liverpool days. Got him off to Hamburg and uh, was an early supporter of the, of, of the Fabs. Yeah. I don't think this one's close. Do you? No, I, I, I'm giving it to Derek myself. Oh, really? I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> oh, wow. He was around. George, this is another person that George said was a fifth Beatle at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm talking about Derek Taylor, not Alan Williams. Yes, but Derek Taylor wasn't a 65-year-old woman in the complete Beatles. <laughs> We had all these canard ships going over to the States, and a lot of the Liverpudlians worked on these ships. Uh, they were known as canard yanks, and they would bring all these fabulous records back, which nobody had except Liverpudlians. And the groups used to grab these records, all these good Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran records, and they used to mine them. Alan Williams <laughs> is a diminutive man. He stands five foot three, and I learned that when he was like running the Jacaranda Club or whatever, he used to walk around in a black top hat to compensate for his height. And then he also had a black <laughs> beard, too, that he grew out. So They used to call him Blackbeard. And that's, <laughs> that right? that's what Paul wrote the song about. Okay, Alan Williams famously in Complete Beatles. See, that's how I got to know Alan Williams, when he talked about Pete Best being, what, he say, what does he say, competent but not very good? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I forget. But yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, he couldn't do a drum roll And then they play a little drum roll It's obviously Derek Taylor for this Derek Taylor, who I confused with uh, Tony Barrow last week Who wrote all the back cover stuff for the British Beatles records uh, Obviously right. Derek Taylor didn't didn't write those So buzz me as you want to there uh, But yeah, Derek Taylor, who then went on I think only in doing research for this I'd forgotten that he was with the Beatles very briefly in the early years Because he made his home in L.A. Yeah you know, where he basically helped turn Good Vibrations and the Pet Sounds album into hits with the way he would kind of campaign for Brian Wilson as a genius. Yeah. Yeah. He coined the phrase pocket symphony to describe the Good Vibrations. Yeah, he was a man of, of words. He was also involved with the Beatles anthology book, which is to me, another essential read, like if you're a Beetlehead or whatever. It's a great read. It's huge. You have to like it's work heavy. out before you read it. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big heavy book. The, the, the downloadable version for your iPad is 118 gigs. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is one of those books, like if you're reading it in bed and it, it'll put like a mark on you, like wherever you're, you know, resting it on your person. Derek Taylor also is, he's... I love his attitude in anthology. He's just so regal and he's so well-spoken. And I didn't want him to close the shop. I wrote an impassioned open letter. Dear boys, you know, if you do this, and a lot of other hoo-ha. Because I dreaded to see the thing falling apart. Yeah, yeah, I got to go with Derek Taylor. All Derek Taylor and the dominoes. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, this is a hard one. This is the last round in this round two. Jimmy Nickel, the drummer who drummed for eight shows on the 64 World Tour while Ringo had his tonsils out, against George Martin, the producer of the Beatles. This is hard, man. This is hard because Jimmy played in those eight shows 
you know, and he had to learn all the songs. And sometimes he didn't do She Loves You right. And he grew to be very bitter. And, you know, the Shub Dubs, Jimmy Nickel and the Shub Dubs never took off after the Beatles. I'm almost willing to give like a sympathy vote to Jimmy Nickel over um, this George Martin guy who just like, oh, pressed record and the Beatles did their magic, you know. Well, it's a bittersweet sympathy, and that's life. <laughs> Tea and sympathy, Mal Evans. All right, great. Jimmy Nichols got this one. All right, round <laughs> and, three. And, and token sympathy. Uh, don't sing about that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I always thought they said Coke and sympathy. Me Doesn't too. It, right? Doesn't it sound that way? Coke and sympathy. <laughs> I think he maybe is. It depends. Like he's. I think there's. He's. He's so um like in the red on that mic that it could go either way on that. When you need That's just such a great Stones tune. Yeah, agreed. And if you want it, you can dream on me. It's just a great, great tune. Let it bleed. Can Beatles fans and Stones fans, are we over Beatles? With all due respect to the Greg Cott, Jim DeRogatis book, which I bought, the whole Beatles versus Stones thing. Is that done? Has the pandemic put an end to that bullshit that, like, you can love both bands and still mock steel wheels? (laughs) (laughs) And press to play. Let's be fair, right? (laughs) Uh, Wait, hold on. One's just Paul. One's the actual Stones. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I think I think as human beings, we should be over that. Obviously, even back then, you could like both groups. People did. You know, I, I also get I have a lot of friends that are more stones inclined than Beatles inclined. And like, I don't hold that against them or whatever. Yeah, I will say this. I was actually thinking about this today. I was thinking about the Ruddles and what a fun thing the Ruddles was. And I was like, could they have done that with the Stones or the Kinks or the Who? And it's like, Maybe, but not as good. There's something about the Beatles that even their parodies are somehow amazing, you know, and funny. And I think that's all because their story is the richest, you know. Well, and the music's the most varied. It's it's not just the Stones. It's Todd Rundgren and Utopia doing a whole album to face the music that's Beatles inspired. You don't often hear of Stones inspired bands. You hear a ton of Beatlesque pop is a term. Stones-esque rock is not really a term. Yeah, uh, I'm right. Fuck the Stones. And by the way, <laughs> without question, I think you're starting the war. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of Stones-style bands, like Royal Trucks or whatever, and even the Blues Explosion. Are they Stones-style bands, or are they just blues bands because That's the Stones were just white guys doing black? I don't know, man. Pussy Galore covered Exile, you know? So I don't know, man. Now, did we decide? Because I voted for Jimmy Nickel. Uh, oh, me too. <laughs> so, oh, great. So I don't have to weigh in on that one. Thank you, because I was not looking forward to that I, one. I can't do it to George Martin. George Martin is the sound of the Beatles. Like, George Martin is one of the most brilliant musicians and one of the most brilliant improvisers and one of the most brilliant minds and one of the most brilliant guardians. George Martin, to me, 
as of this moment, he is the fifth Beatle. I mean, I'm going to have to be convinced otherwise we do this. But yeah, George Martin, uh, we love Jimmy Nickel. He is the Untitled Beatles podcast official Beatles drummer. If you look, remember early on, we had people upset on Facebook that we have a, a picture on of John, Paul, George and Jimmy. Oh, people, so people were, were mad like, about that. What is that? <laughs> So people are mad about, I didn't know that. I mean, I feel like that's our litmus test is like, if you dig that photo, you're probably going to like the podcast. <laughs> um, all right. No, if I, obviously these are bits. Yes. George Martin. I mean, come on. Uh, George is going to go a long way in this one. Um, but can we both agree George Michael over George Martin? I will be the one who loves you till the end of time. All right, that's round two. Uh, that round two was brought to you by Jergens flavored Doritos. They're not just for snacking anymore. Jergens flavored Doritos. Eat them and creep. <laughs> Eat them outside of a window behind a bush. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Preferably Barbara. (laughs) We're never going to get real sponsors. All right, all right. Round three, Billy Preston against Mal Evans. Come on. This is a gimme. I I do have to think about it a little bit. I have to think about it because I love Mal, man, and I love Billy. But I love Mal so much. I do love Mal. He was gunned down by the cops in L.A. It's like, yeah. fuck. 76 right around then? 75, 76? When was that? I want to say, was it? Yeah, I think you're right. 76. Not to be gloomy, but uh, I just love that guy so. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I have, a, I have a place in my heart for Mal. I'll just put it that way. I suppose. Yeah, dude, me too. I mean, it's Mal Evans. He's essential to the Beatles story, but we're talking about Billy Preston. I know. I know. He had lasers that could come out of his fingers. He saved the Sergeant Thank Pepper you, band. Marjorie Taylor Green. <laughs> yeah. I've got lasers out of my fingers. <laughs> How come Giles Martin didn't add sound effects on the remix? <laughs> That's true. Um, all right. I've, I had to think about it. I just I just had to say my piece about Mal. I just want Mal to get the love he deserves, the, the hug he deserves. Watching him and Get Back warmed my heart. But you're right. The superstar of the show is Billy Preston. And I'm, I'm not going to take that away from him. Billy Preston all the way. He also, We also lost him too soon, too. So, you know, thankfully he wasn't gunned down by the LAPD, but he died early nonetheless, too soon. So, uh I'm going to give it, I'm going to say Billy Preston. Gotta be. It's no brainer. Casey thoughts there. Uh, no, I mean, Mal, you had your run, uh, well-deserved hard-earned run, but you ran into the buzzsaw. That's Billy Preston. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Next up. Better than running into an anvil. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next matchup. Mark Lewison against Peter Jackson. This is a really hard one. This one is hard. Peter Jackson, a higher ranked seed. Peter Jackson, a four seed. Mark Lewis, a six seed. So the odds in Vegas would be for, to take Peter Jackson. As much as I complimented him and as much as I love the get back experience, Mark Lewison is just more important to my era of loving and learning about the Beatles and covered the whole wide swath, not just three weeks. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's tough. No disrespect to Peter Jackson, but Mark Lewis knew over Peter Jackson. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Reading Tune In right now is like watching the 52-hour version of Get Back of just their early years. He's giving me so much information that is just wonderful. That's where I got that silly Alan Williams top hat info from. (laughs) And that's why I know how tall he is. So maybe if Peter Jackson had listed everyone's height in the movie, I would vote for him. But he didn't do that. So my vote goes to Mark Lewison. Yeah, that's an easy one. (laughs) Next up, round three, the Elite Eight. We've got Brian Epstein against Klaus Vorman. Ah, this is hard. This one's hard for you, huh? Yeah, just because of how, I mean, obviously Brian Epstein didn't live, you know, to see 68 and beyond. True. But those early years and guiding and shaping them, he was the number, number 1A or 1B force along with George Martin, whereas Klaus Vorman, obviously the cover of Revolver during um, Brian Epstein's lifetime, but it really wasn't until the Beatles broke up that Klaus Mormon was such a part of their lives. It's Brian Epstein, but by not as big of a mark as I thought it might be in my head. That's that's yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I have a lot of love for Klaus as well, but I have to give it to Brian on this one. Yeah. A Beatle fact, I know they don't talk about in the other Beatles podcast, but in the soap spinoff, Robert Guillaume led Benson. <laughs> yes. Um Robert Guillaume's character, Benson, used to yell the word Kraus because of the German maid. Oh. And I used to pretend that he was saying Klaus. Klaus, tell your people we need more meatballs. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. What a yeah. great song. I like your I like your four on the floor bass version of that. Yeah. Klaus would be proud. (laughs) The Quincy Jones of mid-80s TV themes. And Kraus. Inga Svensson, the actress who played Kraus. Very good. That's good. That's good stuff. (laughs) That's from all those TV guides you collected, man. That's why you know that shit. No question. (laughs) Two big chairs sitting side by side with a holy Bible and the TV guide. TV guide, the TV guide. Great God. Wow. Well, that was a quick round three. We're on to the final four. The tension here on the Untitled Beatles podcast is mounting. Wait, wait, wait. We aren't on the final four yet. You forgot oh, to litigate fuck, already, Taylor versus George Martin. I already made my vote. Skip I made my vote already and it moved on. I like that. And Derek Taylor versus George Martin, just the game was forfeited. So, yeah, Derek Taylor went home crying. Should we do that? I forgot to mention George Martin versus Derek Taylor. We're still in round three, turns out. There are two minor figures in Beatle history, so you can be forgiven for not remembering. All George yeah. Martin. Yeah, George Martin. I mean... That's why I don't know why you guys were fighting so hard over Derek Taylor, Alan Williams, because it's like, guys, you know what's going to happen next round, right? Like, what does it matter? I was in the moment. I was in the moment. <laughs> okay, now we are on to round four. This is the final four. Oh, my Lord. There's so many fours happening right now. The Fab Four. But we're looking for a fifth. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Billy Preston, Mark Lewison, Brian Epstein, or George Martin? These are our final four fifth Beatle prospects. Does this seem right as a final four? At this point, can anybody argue against the four who've survived? 
Yes, I think you, I mean, this is the the shortcomings of the bracket as a formula is like, how do you put Peter Jackson there and not, sorry, Yoko, we just, Yoko got knocked down by Mal Evans. <laughs> but she got up Jackson. again, nothing's ever going <laughs> to make her down. <laughs> We're saying Billy Preston, Brian Epstein, George Martin, and the guy who did Lord of the Rings. No, no, Those Mark Lewison, Mark Lewison is in it, not Peter Jackson. Oh, shit. Why did I put Peter Jackson there? Oh, man, I have to scratch all that great audio. <laughs> Thanks a lot, 538. We can keep it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's no. all going in there. We're going to put an echo on it. We're saying Billy Preston, Brian Epstein, George Martin, and the guy who did Lord of the Rings. All right. Okay, round four. Can we do it? Let's, let's, let's see. It's Billy Preston against Mark Lewison. Yeah, man. The guy who had his uh, name on the Beatle records or the guy who's written proficiently and with great detail and enlightened us all for all of their years, not just 1969. This is still hard for me. It'd be weird. It would be weird for Mark Lewis and to beat Billy Preston. But I mean, in a fight, <laughs> I'm finding myself surprised that I'm having a hard time with this decision. It should be Billy Preston, but I just, I just think the overall contribution Mark Lewison has made to the entire career is hard for me to, to ignore. Here's the thing. Here's how I boil it down. Without Billy Preston, 10% of what Mark Lewison has written about and documented would not exist. Billy Preston is a catalyst for the story that Mark Lewison has documented. For that reason alone, I'm going with Billy Preston. 10% though. So that means 90%. That's an A minus or a B plus if it's, you know, honors class, which he said he is an honors class, right? Yeah. So B plus versus, hmm. Yeah. While Tony grades this bit, we'll be right back. <laughs> I'm, I'm legitimately thinking. I understand you love history. You know, you're you're the dinosaurs were here 200 years ago guy. And I get all that. <laughs> I get you put the creationism in chaos and creation. There's a fine line. Um, but you uh, uh, come on, man. It's, it's Billy <laughs> Preston. Think think about his licks. Think about what he added. Think about not just the energy, but the musicality. And think what he my Klaus Vorman uh, argument. Look what Billy Preston contributed to two of the greatest solo Beatles albums, and two of the greatest rock albums ever. He does play on like my top songs. I agree. I agree. And he was the superstar of Get Back. I mean, honestly, if he hadn't shown up, it wouldn't have been as exciting, as joyful. There would have been less dazzle and less razzle. Let's let's never forget razzle. Um, <laughs> you can't dazzle without your razzle. Well, you've convinced me. Um, read Mark Lewison's Tune In and read that uh, Beatles recording session book. I'm giving it to Billy Preston. You have to. Casey? I have nothing to add. You're... <laughs> Absolutely correct. Yeah. See? <laughs> All right. The final four continues. All right. So that means Billy Preston is into the championship. Congratulations, all you Billy Preston fans out there. They're all cheering at home. And I'm sorry, Mark Lewis and fans. Maybe next year. Maybe 2023. We'll see. Yeah. When When's volume two coming out? 2030? Half the fans are going to be dead by the time you finish part three, my guy. Yeah. He needs to, yeah, he does need to, you need to step it up on the book because, dude, you only have a few more years left. All right, so we've got Brian Epstein, the manager, 
the guy who got them around the world, the guy who really made them. He got the toilet seats off their heads and put them into suits and made them palatable for mom and dad and teenagers without losing their cool. Brian Epstein versus George Martin, the man who created their sound, the, the man who helped inspire them to groundbreaking lengths of making music and sounds that had never been heard before in pop music. Now, these two, yeah, these are some two heavy hitters, but I think I know where my vote's going. Yeah, these are two of the most important figures in, in all Beatle history, obviously. You know, in fairness to Brian Epstein, he didn't produce Sister Golden Hair. I mean, God bless you, Ventura Highway, but that America stuff, that's like, hey, let's add some energy to a Seals and Crofts record. Basically <laughs> what that was. Um, it's very polished, too polished for you. That, that America is too polished for you, isn't it? It might be a slightly polished for me, although, I mean, yeah. Magic, when that song, You Can Do Magic, came out in 82, that was a favorite a favorite of mine on the radio. Yeah, one of the hits of 82 on Capitol. I mean, Brian Epstein is so important. I love that the Beatles had a Jewish figure in their lives. It's yeah. actually a cool part of the Beatles story. Totally. That doesn't really get talked about all that often. But a gay British guy yeah. helped guide generations of pop culture for some of their most important years, their touring years, their Ron Howard years, as we now call it <laughs> in the industry. Yeah. And it should also like his sexuality should also be mentioned, too. Like the Beatles all knew he was gay. And they were cool with it. They were woke about it or whatever in 1960, you know, when they met. Damn it. I hate woke. So I got to hate the Beatles. Great. Woke makes me so have mad. Fun, have fun with that hate. Okay. Yippee. <laughs> Hope you're happy. <laughs> Remember Freedom Fries? Remember all the Of course I do. Yeah. Um, I was working at Trader Joe's back then. It was stupid. <laughs> they sell sweet potato Freedom Fries. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind. Fairly priced, too. Freedom Fries and friends in the sky. I think clearly it's got to go to George Martin because Brian Epstein shaped the band. George Martin helped shape the music that made the band who they were. I, I will always say George Martin's ability to say yes and is without question among the great leadership roles in pop culture history. What George Martin did for them by respecting them, respecting their humor and their talent I know the Ruddles joke, Brian Epstein respected their trousers, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's got to be George Martin. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I have to go with George Martin. Yeah. Because I listen to the records a lot more than I watch the the tours and, and all that. But not to take away from what Brian did for them. He did amazing things for them. But yeah, once they stopped touring, he was a little lost. And unfortunately, that's probably what led to his early demise, but he was a dramatic fellow nonetheless. And he was talking about suicide back in the fifties when he wanted to be an actor, you know, and his family was like, what? No, run the store, you know? <laughs> and, you know, he was a dramatic dude and, uh, you know, we don't know if it was suicide, but he was a depressed guy a lot of the time. And he had a proclivity for, for the drink and for the drugs. And, uh, unfortunately we lost him too soon. And, George Martin, you know, with the exception of Let It Be, was able to uh, give us these records that we're still listening to today and loving and obsessing over. We're going in the studio. George Martin might not even know what we were going to come up with. Yeah. We'd come up with it, and then by knocking it around, we'd have a Beatle record. 
rather than just this little song that we'd come in with. All right, we're down to it. It's the championship. Oh my God, we are here. Esteemed guests, it is the fifth Beatle countdown to number one. (laughs) It's the final countdown. I can't believe we're here. All right. It's down to Billy Preston, the inimitable secret star of the Get Back film, and George Martin, their longtime producer. George Martin, Billy Preston. Billy Preston, George Martin. What do we think? Next week. (laughs) Untitled Beatles Pug. 90 minutes. All about this. I mean, I love the way you set the brackets up, Tony, because this is what it had to be. Anything short of Billy Preston versus George Martin would have been criminal. Uh, maybe Brian Epstein versus George Martin for the final two. But we're, yeah. to me, the, the the three most important figures in Beatle history, however you want to rank them, would be George Martin and Billy Preston and Brian Epstein. So we we basically got it right, I think. Look, Billy Preston, I cannot praise him enough. I love his solo stuff. Some of the stuff he did for A&M. They just reissued that Capitol album, Encouraging Words, just got a nice little vinyl repress. He's got some great songs. He had a bunch of hits post-Apple, Nothing From Nothing. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite of his. Yeah. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You gotta have something if you want to be with me. And Will It Go Round in Circles, I think, were post-Apple releases, so he did have a career outside of the Beatles' orbit for sure. I take nothing from Billy Preston, but if we're talking about the Beatles from start to finish, George Martin is the definitive fifth Beatle in my eyes. And I'm going to have to agree with you, sir. Yeah, yeah. And it's just longevity. They met Billy back in the early days, but they rekindled their friendship, whatever that was, nine years later, something like that. So I have to give it for the longevity. George Martin was there, you know, and it's 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 ironic that George Martin wasn't he was there peripherally when Billy was there. Yeah. That's what's funny is that he didn't have his full on hands on. They didn't overlap so much. Mm-mm. That's what's really interesting about this. So Billy Preston is almost like that little bridge, you know, where the boards are missing in the bridge. Yeah, the, the lot, lot of boards missing on that 86 Billy Joel release. <laughs> Yeah, I have to give it to George Martin. Yeah, I love you, Billy. But George Martin, to me, was the most important person that was not one of the fab four. I think he's the fabest fifth. Casey, as someone who came slightly newer to the Beatles, do you agree with this assessment? Like, is your somewhat less fanatical fandom agree with that take? I think it wouldn't have a year ago, or maybe two years ago, it wouldn't have pre-Untitled Beatles podcast. I think as a lay Beatles fan, I don't know George Martin's contributions or how deep they run. You know, you kind of like know the name and you hear people say he's the fifth Beatle, but you don't really understand how much of, you know, it is Lennon and McCartney doing the bulk of the songwriting, but like the arrangement, the orchestration, that's what a lot of those iconic recordings come down to. And I think, you know, most lay people don't understand how much a recording is actually the product of a deep collaboration beyond just the people behind the mics. 
So I think I would have said Billy Preston before this because I see his name on Let It Be and I see him in the Let It Be recording sessions and I hear him on the organ and I think about how instrumental that is to the evolution of the Beatles sound. And I don't know how much George Martin actually was there. He was the original evolution of the Beatles sound. Um, but I think you're right. I think after after three hours of recording, this was actually the, the main <laughs> conversation we all needed to have from the jump. And I think you you came out right. Could I request that we cut to the moment of George Martin rocking the fuck out on the piano during rock and roll music? I know not one of Tony's favorite covers, but that's a song where George Martin is the best performer on that tune. He's playing such a good 50s boogie-woogie rock and roll style with the glissandos and kind of pounding those eighth notes. I mean, yeah, he contributed to more than just the Beatles sound. He's he's part of the Beatles sound from right. beginning to end. Yeah, like John Lennon's like, hey, George, make my guitar sound like an orange. And he has to <laughs> figure out what that means. I mean, he taught us a lot, and I'm sure we taught him a lot by our, our sort of primitive musical ability, which is all I have still. You know, I still have to have something to translate what I'm trying to say all the time. That takes an artist, that takes an artistic mind to wrap yourself around such an adventurous request. Well, and could you imagine like Lennon and McCartney trying to arrange strings for their songs they just be like uh do doodly do something something like yeah. george martin was also this like presence who could apply sort of craft on top of the raw talent that's a great point and paul would often sing the parts he wanted whereas john mm -hmm. would be more abstract and to tony's point like make it sound like an orange you know or make make good night sound like a disney movie yeah you know whereas paul would sing his parts yeah like a yeah so, but George Martin understood both of them. And by the way, his orchestration on two George Harrison tunes on Abbey Road on something and on uh, Here Comes the Sun is incredible. One could argue that what George Martin, his, the last thing he did for the Beatles by putting strings on the acoustic take of All My Guitar Gently Weeps on the Love soundtrack created a separate version of a classic song that didn't exist other than anthology would just spare George playing guitar and the light organ behind it. But George Martin's beautiful orchestration for that, the last thing he did for the Beatles, is haunting and lovely. This song is such a tender song for George, and George isn't with us anymore. And it's very, my responsibility in adding music to, to this. I, was, I weighed very heavily on me. I don't know why nobody told you how to unfold your love I don't know how Someone controlled you They bought and sold you George also orchestrated Grow Old With Me for the John Lennon anthology that was unadorned on Milk and Honey. George Martin did a score for that. You know, it's weird to me that George Martin 
could do the scoring for While My Guitar Gently Weeps and Grow Up With Me, but couldn't do Real Love and Free As A Bird. That's always a little weird to me. I think that was a George power play after the success of the Wilburys in Cloud Nine. It's strange that there's no George Martin involvement in the Threedles, but maybe that's for the best, too. Yeah, that's true, man. That is true. Well, he won it, man. He he won it. He is the fifth Beatle in the year 2022. He still has the title. <laughs> in one shining moment, George Martin won the dance. One shining moment, Dorito Jurgens on your pants. They're on your pants and in your pants. Everywhere pants are Jurgens Doritos. You got Cool Ranch Fingies. Oh, Cool Ranch Fingies, you guys. It's the Untitled Beatles podcast. Thank you, our esteemed producer, Casey Baker. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard or didn't like, regardless, subscribe to us and write us a review. Uh, if you hated us, write us a good review. Say like, lie, say how much you loved us. We love you. You should love us. That's how radio works. That's how podcasts work. That's how the internet works. That's how life works now. We're all on the internet. We're all on the internet right now. You've got to get on the internet. It's the newest, greatest thing. Ladies and gentlemen and esteemed guests. <laughs> Do it. Tony's AOL account. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs>